6. And I will tell you that if you were not here last Thursday night, um, I would strongly, strongly encourage you to go to the website and listen because some of what I'm going to say tonight is built upon things that we discussed last week. And so if you weren't here, there may be some things that may not make sense to you. And so my, uh, my encouragement to you would be to go and listen to last Thursday night's lesson and then listen again to tonight's lesson. I think it will make more sense to you if you have last week's foundation. Now, uh, somebody told me today that the link wasn't working, but we got that fixed. And uh, so it is working now. You should be able to go in and listen to last Thursday night's lesson. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6, and we begin with verse number 1 tonight. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. Amen. I, I pointed out to you last week, and, and I want to just say this before you're seated, that the apostle here, I, I believe it is the apostle Paul, who's writing this epistle, and he is laying down again or describing again the things that are the foundational principles of the Christian church. These are the basics. These are the things that we are built upon. And he lists them for us here. Repentance is part of our foundation. Let us never get away from the message of repentance. Faith, without faith it's impossible to please God. Amen. And uh, it's another study for another night, but unbelief is not just a flaw. The Bible calls it an evil heart because you're questioning the very character and nature of God himself who is truth. Faith toward God, part of our foundation. Baptism is a part of our foundation. It's, it's not, it's not uh, a spare tire, something that you just, you know, you might need it somewhere down the road, but you don't have to have it. It's, it's not like that. This is part of our foundation. And um, so he also talks about the resurrection of the dead. We mentioned this last week. There are many false doctrines even in our own ranks. Uh, people who are saying that the resurrection has already passed and uh, trying to spiritualize everything. But this doctrine of the dead yet to be raised is a part of our foundation. And we need to believe it. We need to accept it and know it. Eternal judgment. Don't hear a whole lot of preaching about that anymore. Not a whole lot of preaching anymore about eternal judgment. But 
it's a part of our foundation. Amen. It's a part of our foundation. And in the midst of all that, the apostle said, another thing that is part of our foundation is the doctrine of the laying on of hands. This is a foundational doctrine, and so we need to understand it. We need to know it. We need to understand it, and especially in light of some of the things that I hope I have the time to say tonight uh, in the course of this lesson, because this is an extremely important subject. It's extremely important. This is not just a matter of once in a while getting prayer because you're sick. It goes far, far beyond that. And we need to understand the significance of this practice. And so tonight we will give you part two of this study of the doctrine of the laying on of hands. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. Would you pray specifically and ask God to give you understanding, to open your understanding tonight. Everybody, could we ask the Lord to do that right now? Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I thank you. You've given us yet another opportunity, God, to study your word. And I pray, God, that you would grant to me the anointing that I need, the unction of the Holy Ghost to feed the flock of God tonight. I'm asking you, O oh Lord, that you would grant to us, God, hearts to receive Lord, minds to comprehend, God. Oh, Lord, spirits to respond tonight. God, show us, oh, God, what you want us to know. Enlighten us tonight. Let a spirit of revelation fill this house, I pray. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Let's praise the Lord together, everybody. Let's praise him. Come on. Let's praise him. Let's worship him for just a few moments tonight. Thank you, Savior. Thank you, Savior. Praise God. Praise God. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, last Thursday night, had a number of folks out, and uh, so because of that, I'm going to try to do a brief review. However, let me tell you that, again, what I can say in review is not enough. It's not uh, it does not provide you with enough information to be able to fully comprehend everything I'm going to say tonight. And so it is imperative, I believe, that you take the time to hear the entire lesson from last week. Now let me touch on just a few things to bring us all up to speed tonight. I, I began last week by making the statement that it is a surprising thing to me that not very many apostolics have taken the time to really deal with this subject. Uh, there's very, very little that I can find that has been written on the topic, and yet Paul said it's a part of our foundation. Seems like to me if it's part of our foundation that, that we would know more about it. I submit to you tonight, that you could probably go into 90% or better of the churches, even apostolic churches, and they would not know the doctrine of the laying on of hands. It's not addressed. It's not taught, but it should be. 
I'm not, I'm not throwing blame on anybody. I admitted last night that I am as much to blame as anyone because in all of my years of pastoring, in all of my years of preaching, I've never taught a lesson on the subject, but I'm trying to rectify that now. Praise God. Amen. It is important that we understand it because it is a part of our foundation. If our foundation is wrong then we're going to have problems with the rest of the building. So we need to get this right, folks. We need to get this right. Amen. Now, uh, it, it's, it's especially uh, troublesome to me that, that there's not more that's been written on this subject in light of what all the apostle had to say. If you take these verses that I've read to you, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, and look at them in their context. Uh, you know, the, the chapter divisions were not put there by the authors. They were put there later, and I thank God they were put there. I'm glad we don't have to just unroll a scroll and try to find the verse we're looking for. I'm glad somebody divided it up for us. But we do have to understand that the divisions were not a part of the original writings. And sometimes not understanding that uh, will keep us from clearly understanding what's being written. The only way we can really understand what the Apostle Paul is saying in chapter 6, you got to go back and read at least the last few verses of chapter 5, where Paul is saying to these people that, you know, by now you ought to be teaching others, but you're still immature. And he said, I would really like to bring some meat to you. I'd, I'd like to give you something with some real depth to it. But you're not ready for that. Now, with that in mind, with that in mind, Paul then begins to talk about the foundation. What he's saying is these things are the milk. This is what you feed babies. The milk is what you give those that are not yet developed. So the doctrine of laying on of hands is not meat. This should be something we understand from, from our earliest times of conversion. And yet we don't. And as I said, I hope we can rectify that. I hope we can correct some of that tonight. Now, the other thing that before I got into the lesson, I spent some time, a good deal of time, talking about how important symbols are to God. Now, again, not kind he's crashing in the cage in there but but we're talking about things that are symbolic once God establishes a connection between something and what it symbolizes then God honors that connection I should have gotten more amens on that uh, maybe I need to go back and reteach that part of the lesson but we, we spent a great deal of time showing you, for example, Moses, the severe punishment that was put on him, the discipline he received. He led the people of God for 40 years with one hope in mind, and that was to get to the promised land. But after 40 years of leading that bunch of rebellious, hard-headed, stubborn, gossiping, backbiting, whining, complaining bunch of people, 
after 40 years of putting up with them, God said, you're not going into the promised land for one reason. You hit a rock. Now, that seems a little extreme. I mean, the rock didn't even feel it. And, and as I pointed out to you, Moses had the staff in his hand and you use the staff to hit the rock. It's the staff that's going to get the worst end of the deal. The rock's not even going to know the staff ever made contact. The staff's going to suffer the consequence. And yet God punished Moses. But it wasn't because God cared about a rock. It was because God cared about what that rock symbolized. For the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians that that rock was Christ. They had already been by there once. Moses had smitten it once. It had given forth its water at that time. After it was smitten once, the next time they come back, God says to Moses, just speak to it and you'll have your needs supplied. But Moses disobeyed God. And smote the rock a second time. What did Moses do? He violated a symbol. That rock was Christ. Christ would only be smitten once. And after that one time, from that time forward, all we have to do is speak to him. And he'll supply our needs. But Moses broke that symbol. And because Moses broke the symbol, God punished him. God disciplined him for the violation of a symbol. Now, we also brought it into the New Testament when we talked about communion. You know, we don't believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation. It's a big word, but, but the Catholic Church literally teaches that when you take communion, that bread becomes the literal flesh of Christ. And, and the, the wine that they serve becomes the literal blood of Jesus. We don't believe that. But here's what we do believe. That God connected the bread and the juice to the body and blood of the Lord. And God established that symbol. And therefore God honors that symbol. We showed you last week that in the book of Corinthians, the apostle Paul even says there are many among you that are weak and sickly and many sleep for one reason. They violate that symbol. That's New Testament, folks. That's New Testament. The apostle said God still, still will send judgment on those who do not honor what that stands for. Well, praise God. Now, it was in my notes last week to bring out one other example of the symbolism that God uh, honors. And I, I didn't do it, and I wasn't going to do it, but um, I, I realized it really is pretty important for some of the things I want to say tonight. So even though we're still in the review mode, let me throw one more example of how important symbols are to God. This again from the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 4 and 5. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. 
for that is even all one as if she were shaven. Now, now I'm not going to take the time tonight to go into everything that the apostle deals with here in this setting. But he's dealing with the subject of authority. And he's showing that the head, the cranium, is the symbol of authority. And he says that what we do with this head, God looks at it. In fact, again, I, I don't have time tonight, but I, I challenge you, go home and read 1 Corinthians 11. But you'll see that God said even, you, you need to do this even for the angels' sake. The angels, the angels have been created to honor whatever symbols God establishes. And God begins to Give us this symbol. And he said, your head, your cranium is a symbol of authority. And what you do with your hair on that cranium either honors or dishonors your authority. That's what he said. So even in the New Testament, God still stands by this principle that symbols which he established carry the same significance as if they were the substance for which the symbol stands. Has everybody got that? Three of you do. Does everybody have that? Does everybody understand what I'm telling you? It's important that we comprehend this tonight. We've got to know, even in the New Testament church, it, now, it's not if I go and say, okay, this bottle of water represents the Holy Ghost. No, the symbols I create don't matter. But the ones God created, God honors. And he expects us to honor them as well. Praise God. And so, so here are these examples. Now, we, we then went and began to show you that the practice of the laying on of hands was not something that, that was dreamed up in New Testament times. This was not something that just came about during the New Testament era. But it was a practice that started all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. We showed you that the first mention of this practice was when uh, Jacob um, called together the two sons of Joseph and he put his hands on them to bless them. Now, this was not just saying, be blessed. This was not just the pronouncing of a few words like, well, God bless you. But I showed you it was important, not just the laying on of hands, but which hand in particular made a difference. Because the right hand was the symbol of power. It was the symbol of authority. And so when Joseph crossed his hands and put the right hand on the younger son, or not Joseph, Jacob, when Jacob put his, his hand, his right hand on the younger son of Joseph, Joseph tried to stop him. No, 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 you don't put the hand of power on the younger boy. It goes on the older. Jacob said, I know what I'm doing. You just leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. The older one's going to get a blessing, but not like what the younger one's going to get. And I submit to you that there was something in that very first example that took place. It was not just saying, God bless you, but it was the actual transferring 
of authority and power and honor and blessing that came when Jacob laid his hands on Manasseh and Ephraim. Something passed from those hands to those boys. There was a literal transfer that went on at that moment. and That is the first mention. And that's important to us. As we study the Bible, the first mention always carries great significance. And so we understand from what is said here what it is God wants us to get out of this. And we see this continuing on. We went on then from there to, to the story of Moses. And God said to Moses, uh, you know, you're going to die. and There's got to be somebody that's going to take your place. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find, uh, uh, go find Joshua. And I want you to give him a charge. And God said, I want you to put some of your honor on him. I want you to transfer some of your honor to him. Make sure he gets this. Now this is not done by handing him a piece of paper. This is not done by putting a plastic license in his pocket. Are you hearing me tonight? But when Moses got ready, to transfer honor and authority. The Bible said that he put his hands upon him. And Deuteronomy 34, 9, you can go home and look it up. The Bible says that Joshua was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses laid his hands upon him. I submit to you tonight that in that moment, when Moses put his hands upon his successor, God honored that symbol. And God took the authority and the honor and the wisdom that he had invested in Moses and it passed through Moses' hands to his successor. Moses put his hands upon the head of the man to follow him. Now, this again, this principle, I, I don't have time to reteach this lesson. I've got far too much to cover tonight. But, but these are important things you've got to understand. This principle stood true throughout the scripture. When Moses began to give the children of Israel the law and began to tell them about the process of offering sacrifices unto God, it's an amazing thing that takes place because in Leviticus chapter 4, you find where they have to bring the bullock in. They've committed sin. They bring the bullock in. The bullock is innocent. The bull is innocent. The bull's committed no sin, but the man who brings him has. And, and the Bible says that that man is to lay his hands upon that bull. And what happened in that moment was the transference of the guilt of sin. It went from the one who was guilty to the one who was innocent. And the bull took the blame 
for the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The bull then had to die because the bull had received the sin. Well, hallelujah. my, My point to you is this. When God established this practice of the laying on of hands, it symbolized one thing. There would be a transfer. Something is going to flow from the hands of the one who's putting his hands upon the one who is to receive. There is a transfer. In fact, we go back to the example of the bull. The bull wasn't the only one who received. Because the man came guilty. The bull came innocent. But the man left innocent. And the bull died guilty. The man received what the bull had to offer. Hallelujah. That's that's why what happened at Calvary, I said this last week, that's why what happened at Calvary is so beautiful. It's because of that very principle, the transfer. He took my sins upon him and he gave me his innocence. He died so that I don't have to. Hallelujah. Now, there's there's a transfer and that's what we've got to understand. When this was established in the Old Testament, it wasn't just a matter of some uh, act that people did, but God recognized it that something is being handed off. That's why you use the hands. You're giving something to somebody. And or you are receiving something from somebody. That's the way it was established. And so we get to the New Testament and we find that this same practice continues in the New Testament. This is where we left off last week. We didn't get to any of the New Testament. So let's start there right now. Let's go first of all to the example of Jesus himself. Uh, Let's just read these fairly quickly here. Mark chapter 6 verse 5. And he could there do no mighty work save that he had laid his hand, he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. Yeah. He laid his hands upon the sick. And the virtue of health that was in him was passed to the sick. They received when he put his hands upon them. Luke 4 and 40. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him. And he laid his and hands, laid on, every his one of hands them. on every one of them and, healed, and them. healed them. Now, let me show you something, church. This next one's very, very interesting to me. Because we talk about the practice of laying on of hands as far as transferring, as far as giving. But I want to show you something else. When you go to the book of Mark, chapter, oh, this one's in Luke, actually. Uh, I was going to read from Mark 5, but but we've got got it here in Luke 13. Same story. Luke 13. Let's go there. Luke chapter 13 and verses 11 through 13. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift lift up herself. 
Okay, I, I'm sorry. This, yes, this is the story I want. I was ahead of myself a little while ago. This is a different story than what I was thinking. But go ahead. Read. She could not lift up herself. And when Jesus saw Jesus her. Jesus saw her. He called her, he called to, him her to him. And said to and her. And said. Woman. Woman. Thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Now he said to her, you're loosed. But look at this. And he laid his hands on After her. After he spoke, he laid his hands on her. And immediately, and immediately she was made she straight. She was made straight. And glorified. And so we see Jesus establishing this practice of the laying on of hands. It wasn't just the conveyance of authority, but there was a transferring here of healing. Now, we see Jesus also laying his hands on people for another reason. Mark chapter 10. Verses 13 through 16. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said to them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them he up, took in, them his up in his arms. Put his hands put his hands upon them and bless them. I'm telling you tonight, there was a reason why. He didn't just speak blessings, but he took those children and put his hands on them. And they received from his hands a blessing. So whether it's praying for the sick or blessing the children, in both instances, there was a transfer. Something is being passed through this act of laying on of hands. And so then we get into the ministry of the apostles, and obviously, you know, what they did, they learned from their master. That only makes sense. And so inasmuch as he laid his hands upon people, they followed the same practice. Um, Mark, in fact, Mark 16 and 17, he told them to do this. Mark 16, 17. And these, shall follow, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they, shall they cast out devils, and shall, they shall All speak. All right, I didn't give enough tongues. scripture there. Get your, get, get your Bible. I didn't give enough scripture there uh, for this. But, but uh, they shall speak with new tongues. And verse 18. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, mm -hmm. and they shall recover. And so Jesus here is instructing his followers to continue this practice of the laying on of hands to bring healing. Now, we're going to come back and deal with this verse before we quit tonight because there's something very important that we need to know about this verse of scripture that is being totally misunderstood across the spectrum of Christianity today. And we need to understand it. We're going to come back and talk about it. But let's look at the examples of the apostles doing what they were told to do. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles by the, were many signs. By the hands of the apostles. Were many, signs were many signs and wonders wrought among the, among the people. So it was through the laying on of hands. Acts 28 and 8. And it came to pass that the father of Publius, 
lay sick of a fever and of a bloody to whom Paul entered in. Paul entered in and prayed and prayed and laid his hands and on him. Laid his hands on him and healed him. And healed him. Now, I want to tell you something. As I started looking at this, evidently, now Paul, Paul was not obviously one of the one of the twelve who followed Jesus during his earthly ministry. But Paul was so convinced of this principle of the laying on of hands, of transferring something. In fact, I could, I guess we, we probably should have gone to Acts 3 where Peter and John find the lame man and said, such as I have, give I thee. And they took him by the hand. There was something they gave through the touch of their hand. And so Paul was so convinced of this. He believed it so strongly. that let me show you what happened when there were people he could not get to to lay his hands on. Here's what he did. Acts 19, verses 11 and 12. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his, so body, from his body were brought unto, were the, brought sick unto the sick handkerchiefs, handkerchiefs or, aprons, or aprons. And the diseases, diseases departed from departed them from and the them. evil spirits, the went, evil out spirits went out of them. I'm telling you, Paul believed in this principle so much that he said, if I can't get there to lay my hands on them, I'm going to give them something that at least has touched me because I'm going to transfer something. In this process, this is where we get the practice of using prayer cloths. Amen. We, we take these cloths and we lay our hands upon these cloths and you can take them to those that are sick. And we ought to believe God's going to do something. We ought to believe it. Because we didn't create this practice. God's the one who set it up. Now, James instructed the church, to follow this practice. James 5, verses 14 and 15. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. And so again, James is saying, anoint them with oil. This is a, pro this is a, a part of the process of the laying on of hands. James is saying that if there is any sick, you ought to just expect God to honor this symbol. This is not the creation of man's ideology. This is what God established. Hallelujah. And so we ought to have faith in this process. Now, look, Jesus used this to heal and to bless. The apostles used it to heal. We see them using it for another reason. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. Who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So we see these apostles using this same practice, not just to transfer healing, but to help people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's used again. 
that there might be a transfer. That's the, that the person for whom they are praying might receive from the one who's praying for them. This is the way it's done. Acts chapter 19, verse 17. I, I'm sorry, 9, verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, putting his hand on, hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. He put his hands on him. Ananias laid hands on Saul for the twofold purpose of number one, you're going to receive your sight. And number two, you're going to receive the Holy Ghost. Something's going to happen. Ananias is not saying it might. He's not saying it can. He said the Lord sent me here to do this and when I put my hands on you, expect it, Saul. God's going to honor this. God is going to honor this. And then that's the way Saul, who became Paul, received the Holy Ghost. And then we see him in chapter 19, verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. <laughs> and again, they are receiving from the hands of the one who is praying for them. Church, I cannot, I cannot say this often enough or strongly enough. We as a church need to get this foundational principle in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits. When we come down for prayer, this is not just a ritual. This is not just something we're doing to pass the time away. It's not something we picked up from the charismatics. Jesus is the one who established this and we ought to hold him to his word. We ought to believe that God is going to pass something through the hands of the man that's laying his hands upon us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because that's what the laying on of hands is all about. You ought to expect any time there is the laying on of hands, you ought to expect either for something to be transferred or something to be received. That's the way it works. Now, it didn't stop. It didn't stop. Let me, let me show you another. Uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse 6. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now, this was, this was in the choosing of the deacons. And uh, I don't want to get into this. This is another Bible study for another night. The term deacon is another term that has been totally misconstrued from what it was in the scriptures. Deacons in the scriptures were not the church board that determined what the church was going to do and how the preacher was going to operate. I don't know who came up with that, but that's not the way it worked in the Bible. You can read it for yourself in Acts chapter 6. They chose deacons 
because there were people who needed menial tasks done for them, widows and orphans that needed to be cared for. And the apostles said, we are spending all of our time taking care of these menial tasks. We ought to be able to devote ourselves to prayer and to the word. And so we're finding deacons not to control the church. Not to run the affairs of the church. But we're finding deacons. We're appointing deacons to take care of the things we don't have time for. And I submit to you that these deacons were young preachers. Not board members. Read it. Read it. That's what a deacon is. A deacon is a preacher in training. And guess where he gets his training? That's why I was telling somebody the other night. My pastor, I love him. I, I honored him. He's gone now. But, you know, he never set us down and gave us lessons on being a preacher. His idea on giving us lessons to be a preacher was, uh, we need to bust this concrete this summer. Why don't you boys get some sledgehammers and let's get this knocked out, all right? Or uh, my house needs a new roof. I, I want you to come up here and help me roof my house. That was the way he trained us. It was doing things that would allow him to have the time to focus on the spiritual needs of the church. Well, so they have taken these preachers and now they bring them in and they want these preachers to be able to take care of things for them on their behalf. So what do they do? They've set them before the apostles and the apostles laid their hands on them. The apostles were transferring some authority. They were transferring, they were putting approval upon the lives of these men. In fact, there's strict qualifications. Look, if you don't think deacons are young preachers, just go back and read where Paul gives the qualifications of a pastor and the qualifications of a deacon, and you're going to find out there's just not a whole lot of difference. That's what a deacon is. That's what a deacon is. And these men were being, were, were being commissioned into the service of the Lord or ordained that's what's going on here now Paul talked about this process of ordination as he's writing a letter to his son in the gospel Timothy 2nd Timothy chapter 1 verse 6 here's what he says wherefore I put thee in remembrance I put thee in remembrance that thou art that thou stir that thou up the stir gift up of God the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. How did Timothy get this gift of God? How did, now I don't believe he's talking about the Holy Ghost here. He's talking about some spiritual gift. And he's saying, Timothy, you got this spiritual gift in a specific fashion. Paul said, I came and I laid my hands on you. And when I laid hands on you, God transferred that gift to you. Hallelujah. 
Something happened in that moment. In fact, it wasn't just Paul, evidently, because Paul also wrote 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. All right, now, he said, he said neglect not this gift that's in thee, that was given thee by the by prophecy and the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Now, this, this, this word presbytery is, is a Greek word that appears only three times in the New Testament. And um, one time, it, it is translated as it is here, presbytery. Why they, that's really more of a transliteration than it is a translation. Basically, that is the Greek word put into English letters. That's, that's basically what that is, all right? So why they did that, I don't know. There are two other places that it appears in Scripture. And in one place, it is translated simply elder. Okay? The other place, it appears, is Acts 22.5. And there, it is translated more accurately in accord with what the word means. There, it, it is translated the estate of elders. This word in the original means a council or group of elders. All right? They're not presbyters of an organization. They're not men that have been elected to office. But these are men that Paul and Timothy both recognized to be men of great report, men of high reputation, men of spiritual authority. And Paul said, Timothy, I wasn't the only one that laid my hands on you, but there was a whole council of us. There was a group of elders that got together and we prayed over you and we put our hands on you. And I'm telling you that in that moment, God put something in you. There was a transfer that took place. Now, I... I I want you to understand, church. Number one, I want us to have faith that when a man of God lays hands on us, we're not going to walk away the same. And it has nothing to do with me. It's not about me. It's about what God instituted. It's about the symbol that God created. We need to have faith that when a man of God lays his hands on us, something is going to happen. We're going to receive something. We will receive something. I wish you to help me here tonight. We will receive something. Now, let me... Let me interject at this point. It is important for us to understand that when it comes to laying hands on someone's head, that is an act that ought to be reserved exclusively for the ministry. This is where I said a while ago, I'm afraid there are too many churches that don't understand this. Now, why do I say it ought to be reserved for the ministry? I take you back to what I showed you in 1 Corinthians 11, that the head is the symbol of authority. 
And when I put my hand on someone's head, I am saying I have authority over you. So when some saint wants to put their hand on another saint, they're stepping into a place they don't have the authority to be in. Now, look, um, I know I know that folks like to use Mark 16, 18 as proof that any saint can lay hands on people and they'll be healed. Let's go back and read Mark 16 and 18 again. I told you I'd come back to it. So let's look at it again. Mark 16 and 18. Let's, let's look at this. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it mm-hmm. shall not hurt them. Shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands, they shall lay hands on, the, on sick, the sick, and they shall recover. They shall recover. And people say, see, this is to any believer. This is to any believer. I submit to you that's not true. You cannot fully understand this verse. I said this last week. If you don't know the context, you've got to go back and read the verses before it and after it. So why don't you open your Bible? I've got a few more minutes. This is Bible study time. Open your Bible to Mark 16. All right. Now, verses 17 and 18 is where everybody says this is for anybody because 17 and 18 says, these signs shall follow them that believe. So that's any believer. But I'm telling you that to say that is to ignore the context. To see the context of this verse, go back to verse 14 and see what verse 14 says. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven. He appeared to whom? The eleven. Whom? Who are the eleven? These are his disciples, his apostles. He's not just meeting with anybody. He's carrying on a conversation with a specific group of men. He appeared unto the eleven as they said at meet. Upbraided them. He upbraided them. Their unbelief. Their unbelief. And hardness their hardness of heart. Because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. He's speaking specifically to them. We can't change this. We can't ignore verse 14 and skip to verse 17. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. And he said to them. He said to them. To who? The disciples. To the disciples. What did he say? Go ye into Go all the ye world. into all the world and do what? And preach. The and gospel. what? Preach. He's speaking to preachers. Yes. Seems clear to me. He's speaking to preachers. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Read. He that believeth and is baptized shall See, be saved. Do we let just anybody baptize? Well, some churches have started doing that, but they shouldn't. This is an act of authority. I'm telling you, church, listen to me. Listen to me. I know, I know you're sheltered from a lot of things, but because of the internet, because of of of, of everything that's out there, you're getting introduced to all kinds of things. 
And I'm telling you, not everything that's out there is right. And there are entire groups of people who say they preach the same thing we, we preach. They're sending young people out to baptize folks. They find a drunk on the street and take him to the town uh, fountain and baptize him. I submit to you, that is a reproach unto God. They don't have the authority to do what they're doing. God didn't commission them to do that. I don't want to cheapen that experience so much that just anybody can do it. I'm concerned. And the reason we're doing these things is because people haven't been taught any better. And they're not taking the time to study the scriptures for themselves. The Lord never commissioned anybody and everybody to baptize. This was an act to be done by those in spiritual authority. And that's to whom he is speaking in Mark 16. Look, he said in verse 14 said that he upbraided them because of their what? Because of their unbelief. Because they did not believe. So when he turns around then in verse 17 and says, these signs shall follow them that believe. He's not throwing out a term that is generic that every saint is a believer. He's speaking to these apostles who have refused to believe up to this point. But he's saying, guys, if you can shake yourself and get a little bit of faith, I tell you what I'm investing in you. You, as the men of God, have got spiritual authority. And if you'll just believe, I'm telling you that when you get out there, you can cast out devils. When you get out there, you can take up serpents. You can drink deadly things and they won't hurt you. You can lay hands on the sick. And they shall recover. Let's, let's move on now. Not just what comes before it. I want to I really drive this home tonight. Let's keep reading. So then after the Lord had spoken so to verse, them. Verse, verse 19. After the Lord had spoken to them. He was received. The disciples. He was received up, up into, heaven, into heaven. And sat on the right, hand, on of the right God, hand of God. Went forth, and they went forth. And preached. And preached. Everywhere. Everywhere. The Lord working, the Lord with, them, working with them. And confirming, and confirming the word with the I am telling you, church, the only way you can translate these verses, you can interpret these verses in context, he was talking to the ministry. These are people that are preaching the gospel that he said, I authorize you to lay hands on them. I'm going to tell you something, saints. Listen, this is, this is one of the reasons why this is so crucial. You better be careful who's laying hands on you. You better be careful. So I'm telling you, you and, and, and look, I, I don't want you living in fear, but I'm just telling you, you, you go off to meetings and somebody comes along who really is not even right with God and they lay hands on you. Something can be transferred to you at that moment. 
better be careful. You don't want just anybody. I'm going to tell you, I've seen it, brother. And, it, and it, it's, 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 oh, God, it, it's always eating at me. But now that I've studied it out, I understand why. I was at a large gathering, hundreds of apostolic. When they brought out a big bowl of anointing oil and told everybody in the crowd, I want you to come by and dip your fingers in this bowl and anoint yourself. What nonsense. What nonsense. Anoint yourself? How do you take authority over yourself? I'm going to tell you, we better be careful because King Saul thought he had the right to step into the role of the ministry and it cost him the kingdom. It's not about me, it's about an office. And we need to recognize that office. Another large gathering, thousands, yea, maybe tens of thousands. When they stood on the platform and told everybody, turn to the one next to you and lay your hand on them. And, and you're looking across the crowd. And, and stand up here, Brandon. And, and what you've got, you've got, the, like, I'm laying my hands on him and he's laying his hands on me. What, what a convoluted bunch of confusion. This is not the plan of God. This is not, this is why the laying on of hands has become nothing to so many. It's become so common, it's become so ordinary that really we don't think anything about it anymore, but we ought to. I'm going to tell you something. When those Jews brought that bull and they offered it, they didn't just walk away and say, well, I wonder if he forgave me or not. They knew God was going to honor that sacrifice. They expected it. They believed it. They accepted it. And we need to do the same thing. It shouldn't be a matter of is God going to do it. We ought to come with anticipation and expectation and say, God, this is your plan. This is what you created. And I believe you're going to honor your word. why I'm stressing that there is a transfer. It may be giving, but it may be receiving. Now look, I don't, I don't have a problem. I want, I want to make this clear. You're praying with somebody. I don't have a problem you putting your hand on their back if it's appropriate. You know, I don't, I don't have time to get into all this, but you know, when you're dealing with the opposite gender, you do need to be very careful. You need to be very careful. You need to be very cautious. But if somebody's praying, I don't have a problem with you putting your hand on the back. As long as you know you're full of the Holy Ghost. As long as you know everything's right between you and God. I don't have a problem with that. You're not trying to take authority over them. You're putting yourself on the same plane that they're in. It's the head that's the authority. You're praying with them. You put your hand on them. They got their hands up and you, you know, you, you, you take their wrist or put your hand under their elbow. I, I got no problem with that. But be careful. Because if you're not right with God, 
you got an old spirit of contention, rebellion, and gossip, and backbiting, and envy, and whatever, lust, worldliness, and you come and put your hand on somebody, you may be doing more harm than good. Bishop Howard, and I've got, I've got to close, but Bishop Howard told a story that really started my mind thinking along these lines a number of years ago. But he was talking about a very intense moment at the home church when, when somebody was there praying. And, and uh, I don't remember now if he was praying to receive the Holy Ghost. Something, he was, something was going on. I don't remember if he was praying to receive the Holy Ghost or he's sick. doesn't really matter what it was, but there was something. And he said it was a very intense time in the spirit. And, 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 and Brother Howard said, I felt the Holy Ghost just come on me with a boldness. And I knew God was about to do something. And he said, I went to lay my hand upon the person and I felt someone's hand on my back. He said, I turned around and said, stop. Don't do that right now. Because you're drawing away some of the unction and anointing that God's trying to put right here, right now. That's what got me to thinking about this whole transfer. We've got to understand God honors this. God honors this. And we need to be careful what we're doing. Listen to me. Some of you young people, um, you know, I, I appreciate you wanting to pray with other young people. But if you're going to go out and live like the world all week, don't come up here and put your hands on people. You get prayed through. Get all that junk out of your heart, out of your mind. Don't pass it on to somebody else. All right, I don't want to end this on a negative note. I don't want to end it on a negative note. Let, let's, let's go now. The one I was thinking of earlier, let's, I'm going to close with this. Sister Becca, if you'll come. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. For she said, if I may, but, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Yeah. And straightway the fountain straightway. of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Now look at this. Jesus didn't touch her. She touched him. But in her touch, she received. Hallelujah. Jesus knew after the fact that virtue had gone out of him. That's what it says in the book of Mark. Jesus immediately knowing virtue had gone past tense, had gone out of him. Something about that touch that she received, she got something in that moment. Well, hallelujah. I'm telling you, church, this has got to be, it's, we've got to have a total change of our mind, of our concept 
and I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if, if, it's, if it's me or if it's Bishop Howard or if it's Brother Sisler or, or if it's Brother, Brother Brandon or if it's Brother Jerry. I don't care who it is, but if God has called the man to preach and you know, you know that God's put his anointing on him, then you ought to just expect at that moment for something to transpire in the spirit. Something's going to happen. If I need deliverance, I can get it. If I need victory, I can get it. If I need healing, I can get it. If I need a blessing, I can get it. If I need the Holy Ghost, I can get it. Because God is going to honor this process. This is... This is his creation. This was his idea. Hallelujah. And so he's going to stand behind it. It's impossible for God to lie. Impossible. And so, you know, in, in one scripture, the Bible talks about whosoever... Uh, speaketh or maketh a lie. There's, some people don't tell a lie, but they make a lie. What they do. They don't say it, but they convey it through their actions. I'm going to tell you, it's impossible for God to say or make a lie. God can't do it. And so if God said, if God showed us that there is a principle of transfer through the act of laying on of hands, then we ought to just believe the word of God. We ought to just believe it. Thank you to the six of you who agree. The rest of us, we need to believe it. We need to believe it. Oh, we need God to do something to open our minds, to enlighten our hearts, to, to do something to our spirit so that we can come to know something's going to happen. I'm going to receive something from this experience. God's going to give me something through this experience. Well, hallelujah. There may be more to what's going on in Africa than what I even realized. I, you know, I've, I've, I've just wondered. Brother Sisler, it's a unique thing. You'd have to see it for yourself, but, but, but they've, they've had this practice, and really, I need to work on it. I need to hone it a little bit, but, but they've got this practice that you tell them, if you want prayer, come, and they'll just walk down, and they'll just stand there, and they wait for the man of God to come by, and then when you put your hand on, then they close their eyes and start praying. When you take your hand off, they open their eyes, and they're done. Now, that needs to be honed a little bit. But I've come to understand at least it's based on a belief that something is going to be transferred. Now, look, that woman with the issue of blood could not have been out, you know, just doing whatever, running her neighbors down, looking at filthy stuff and and then all of a sudden Jesus passed by and said, oh, I'm going to touch him and get something. It, it didn't work like that. 
she went there with her mind made up. When I touch him, I'll receive. There was something in her mindset. How many times did Jesus say, according to your faith? According to your faith. But that's what I'm trying to do tonight. I'm trying to build your faith. I want to tell you, I want us to get to the place. I want New Life, Pentecostal Church, to reach the place that when you're sick, you don't have to wonder if God's going to heal you. You've got enough faith in God's process. Not about me. It's not about the preacher. But you've got enough faith that God's the one that instituted this, so God's the one that's going to honor it. God's going to stand behind it. God's going to do everything he said he would do. And when the preacher says, if you need prayer, come, you don't stand there and debate with yourself whether you want to come or not. You can't wait to get there because there's a mindset. I'm going to get something. Look, I can tell you, it was not just because she touched him. It was her mindset because Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples said, a lot of people touched you. There were a lot of folks touching him. But their heart wasn't in it. Their mind wasn't in it. Their spirit wasn't in it. But hers was. And because of that, the moment she touched him, are you hearing me? It wasn't a matter of him standing there saying, do I want to do this or don't I? Is it best for her to get healed or not? Is it my will to touch her or isn't it? None of that was going on in his mind. She had faith. When she touched him, she received. And then he knew something left me. Hallelujah. Oh, what a principle that God has established. What a principle. Now look, he can do it through sending his word. And I've seen him do it. I've watched him while while I was preaching, somebody get their healing. I've seen that happen. I didn't touch them. They didn't touch me. Just the word did it. But I'm going to tell you, there's something about that touch. God knew for most of us as human beings, we need a point of contact. And it's that point of contact that generates enough faith in us. Now, if you've got the faith for God to heal you where you're sitting, let him heal you. We don't have to lay hands on you. But if you can't muster the faith to get your healing where you're sitting, I'm going to tell you what you ought to do. You ought to run down here and say, please pray for me, man of God. Please pray for me. Because I want to receive something. Look, when you get discouraged, when you're feeling depressed, it's not the time to stay home. It's not the time to lick your wounds. It's not the time to try to get somebody to feel sorry for you. What you need to do is go find a preacher and say, pray for me. Because you know what I need right now? I need some encouragement. I'm feeling a little weak in my spirit right now. I need some strength. How are you going to get it? I'll tell you. You can get what you need through the laying on of hands. Hallelujah. 
Let's love him tonight. Let's love him. Let's love him. Hallelujah. Come on, let's, let's reach out to him right now. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Oh. It's not that there's power in this flesh, but there's power in the symbol. Come on, church. You know, I've taught year after year for 20 years. I've taught you about communion. I've told you, you can be healed when you take communion. Some of you have experienced that. You know why? Because you started putting faith in the symbol. Hallelujah. That's not literally his blood, but it's a symbol of it. And God honors that symbol. And when you drink that, God honors it. And some of you have come to realize that. You've gotten a revelation of that. And God's healed you when you take communion. Can I get a witness from anybody? God ever touched you when you took communion? Why? Is, look, even if you hadn't gotten a healing, you ever got a blessing when you took communion? Why are you getting a blessing when you take communion? That's the same, the same juice you can buy down here at Walmart. Why is it when you drink it here, Brother Sisler, you feel something come all over you? It's because God's honoring that symbol. It's not a matter of everybody, I walk down the street and shake their hand, they're going to get the Holy Ghost. No, no, no. But there is a symbol when somebody comes in submission and in faith and they're saying, Preacher, I need something from God. God starts honoring that faith and God honors that symbol. Oh, God, give us a revelation of this tonight. Open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds, open our spirits.